Good morning, Touch Heaven, and all of those who are online with us and that tune in later. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and... A few of you are glad if a couple of you just listen. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and... Oh, we've got to go one more time. JP didn't open his mouth. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and... Okay, okay. Just because you've got a new haircut doesn't relieve you from participating. So, we live in a day, and we've been talking about it, when gross darkness is covering the earth, correct? And we knew that this day was coming, even though Jesus himself and Paul said that, you know, we are in tribulation at all times. Some people are waiting for a great tribulation, may or may not come, it might get worse than it is and get tougher. I believe things will get tougher. I don't know about all that seven year stuff, we'll see. I really don't care. I care more about occupying right now and doing what the Lord has given us to do and all that other stuff will take care of itself. But it also says that the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Now, that's a covenant relationship. The glory of the Lord isn't rising upon to bless those who aren't in covenant with God. In fact, as we understand from scripture and theology and uh, some history in scripture, when the glory of the Lord falls upon heathen, on those who don't believe God and aren't walking holy, it's destructive. It's destructive. When the prophet called down the fire from heaven, it didn't destroy him, but it sure did destroy all the priests of Baal. And it sure did come upon the enemies. And so we understand that the glory of the Lord is blessed upon those who are in covenant relation with, with him, and it's a curse to those who are not. And this goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, right? I will bless those who bless you, because if they bless him, they're blessing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what that's about. Because that blessing transfers from earth to heaven and back, and I will curse those who curse you. So we have a God who's merciful and is blessing in mercy, but we also have a God of judgment. And the Lord's desire is to withhold judgment. But it also requires those of us who know him to walk in covenant with God. And covenant has always been what God reveals to us is his desire, and it's his relationship with his creation. It's covenant. And so we understand that in covenant, there's different kinds of covenant. There's covenant that's eternal. In fact, there's not one covenant that the Lord made that he didn't qualify it as eternal. And the body of Christ would do well to wake up to that because many places, not here and not you, because we walk in a different, I don't want to say different, but an illuminated revelation that all of Scripture, all of Scripture is given to us for edification and understanding and knowledge. The, the demarcation line isn't after Malachi, starting in Matthew. And we understand that the Ten Commandments still have power. How many of you know that? You know, we want to say, well, there's one commandment, love the Lord thy God, love, love thy neighbor. Yeah, the love is wonderful, but let me tell you something. You could be loving God and committing adultery, and you're outside of the covenant. Doesn't mean there's not a way back, but you're outside. 
You could be stealing, right, like a pirate, and be outside the covenant. You could be cursing up a storm and be outside the covenant of God. There's always a way back through Jesus Christ. But what did Paul say about that? He got a little fed up with that, with some of the churches he had planted. And he said, stop sinning as if you crucify the Lord again. Because he understands the covenant of holiness and relationship that we have. Covenant defines relationship. It's not an agreement. It's not a contract. We talked about that. That's, that's different functions. Covenant defines a relationship. And when it comes to a covenant with God, it's a relationship between people and God, between the creator and the creatures. That's what covenant's about. So we understand that every covenant that God gave us, he said, is eternal. If we understand that, then we do well to not only understand, but to gleam the blessings of each covenant. Many don't. And the first covenant we talked about was the Adamic covenant. It was the Garden of Eden, right? And the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply. And he said, let us make him in our image. So we understand that covenant is very broad. It's, it's, it's a covenant that gives us the revelation of the creation of the creator himself, made in his image. Now, image, you know, goes a long way, and we've discussed that, and I'm not going to teach on that a lot, other than to remind us that God is in three persons. Eloheinu is the Hebrew word for God in three persons. It's the plural of God, Adonai, single God, Eloheinu. doesn't necessarily say three persons, but it's the plural. And in that instance, we know because we've been illuminated, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost is God in one right? It's a mystery. It's profound, but it's truth. You are three beings in one. You have a body that you know. If you don't, just start doing a few things and you'll see it. You know, we had a, uh, a, a little brief time with our grandchildren in Virginia. Uh, came back yesterday. We're only there a couple days. Hadn't seen them since they moved. And the little baby sort of forgot me. So she was staring at me and she was Every, I'd look at her, she'd go like this, and then she'd, ooh, 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 just trying. So I figured, well, it's funny face time. And I did the image thing. I looked at her, and I went. She started looking at it, she started giggling. I started making faces, she started making faces. And within five or ten minutes, we were bonded again because she recognized the image, that familiar image of her grandfather. The Lord recognizes your image. Your image is the body, the spirit, and the soul. You're three. And we understand that's a covenant with God. God made a covenant to make you three. There's not one soulless person in all the world that's ever been created. Everyone has a soul. There's not one that has been created without a spirit. The matter is, what is that spirit about? Is it born again? Or is it a spirit that's fouled by sin? And so then we understand that more covenants come forth, and I just want to go through them very quickly with you. We have covenants that are conditional and covenants that are unconditional. Now, the Adamic covenant had a condition in, in the garden, but when Adam and Eve rebelled, that covenant was broken, and so now it became a covenant of works, and they had to work and toil. But there was a promise in that covenant there would be a time when the, the Satan would have his head crushed 
and we be stepped upon again, and that happened in Jesus Christ. That was fulfilled in Christ. Every covenant of God preceding the new covenant pointed to Jesus Christ. And there was a mystery. Paul told us about it. It was a mystery of all ages. It was not revealed until Jesus Christ manifested. In every one of those covenants, there was a mystery that was coming. He tells us in John 8 that Abraham longed to see his time, and he saw it. He didn't see it in the moment that he was in his covenant there, other than the fact that he saw the substitution of Jesus Christ, of the Lamb of God, for his son. But he lived in eternity to see that time come. Jesus saw that time, I mean, Abraham saw that time come. So we see the covenant of works didn't work too well. It was conditional. Then we find out that there was a covenant of grace that God released in that covenant of works, and that came in Genesis 3.15, as I said, that a Savior will come who will crush the head of the serpent. So wherever God gives a condition, he gives an unconditional blessing. Remember that. Wherever God gives a condition, he gives an unconditional blessing. God is always a step ahead of the problem. He's always a step ahead of the failure. He's always a step ahead of the negativity. He's always got a solution, a resolution, a redemption, a salvation. Always does in everything that he did. And the Lord never handcuffed himself to the law of his own covenants. Yes, he gave us the law, and we'll get into it in a moment, but he always gave another way. He always had mercy that was abundant to overcome relationships. We see so many times in scripture about somebody who was outside of the covenant relationship of the God of Israel and Israel, but yet they were blessed weren't they? And we understood that whether the person was a harlot, whether the person was a heathen, whether the person was a centurion, whatever, if they came to an understanding with a passion for the living God, God was there to receive and bless them outside of the conditions of the covenant. Because, if you will, that was the reality of Jesus Christ leaking through. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And even though we know that he now stands at the right hand of the Father with scarred hands that were, were achieved in our salvation becoming sin for us, we also know that before those hands were scarred, if we could equate him in time, which is hard to do because he's not really in time. Time is in him. He's in the past, he's in the present, he's in the future. He's eternal, he's infinite. But if we do go before that, there was Jesus Christ always with a heart to be the Savior, the Redeemer, just waiting for the time. So covenants have a time release. There's a time capsule in every covenant. Now, you need to get an eternal mindset. You need to ask the Lord for revelation right now. Lord, give us revelation, give us understanding, open our eyes, open our minds, let us have a deeper understanding so that we can put things in their proper perspective of what you give us to extend our faith and our understanding of our relationship with you. So in one instance, we have covenants that are in time. They're released in their time. Everything has its time. But at the same time, they're eternal. So that means, in essence, if the Lord said this is a covenant forever and the Lord is forever, then that's been a covenant forever. It's just that it wasn't discovered and released upon us until that time. 
I want you to grasp that because there is still, still a release going on in the new covenant relationship. Hmm. Yes, it's once and forever he's given his blood, but the Lord gives us a lot of things to expect and to look at that have not yet been fulfilled. But yet he calls it the new covenant. And a covenant that we anticipate is to come. What is that covenant? You know, I'm, I'm not one who's a millennialist and I'm not a premillennialist. I'm just here. Right? But I do know there's a thousand years because Revelation 21 tells me. I do know Jesus is coming again We're pr- to prepare the way. I do know that there's a time when there's going to be great peace in another covenant. We'll talk about that in a moment. And that covenant, I don't believe, replaces or displaces the covenant of Jesus Christ because that's forever. It builds upon it. And so we understand that it builds upon that house. The key to that is, is if the Lord has spoken it and it already exists, then that means that if we go in faith, just like Abraham went in faith, to believe in Christ as the Savior and Redeemer, when he didn't know who he was, but he saved his son, right? He knew that. He knew the Lord would give a lamb. And just potentially on that mountain, he may have had the vision of Jesus Christ. He may have seen that disfigured body carried the cross. He may have seen it nailed upon the cross. Time might have stopped for him to see his Savior and his Redeemer as he cried out. And he became a different Abraham after that, didn't he? He had a greater faith. He had a greater understanding. Well, just so that is, so can we gleam from the eternal covenant both past, present, future, and what God is unleashing to us. Now remember, I've told you many times that this is a house that digs deeper. We're building upon the firm foundation of the word with fresh revelation. So sometimes we may go places that you shake your head, say, whoa, then it's up to you to confirm it and affirm it in your spirit. I constantly press on for more. I constantly press on with the discipline to make sure everything conforms to the word of God, not preaching a different gospel, not preaching a philosophy, not preaching anything that's the rudiments of men, but understanding the word of God for what? So that we can have abundant living. Christ said, I've come to give you life and I've come to give you abundant life, abundant life. And abundance as we've discussed means that it's never filled. There's always more. There's always more. We've never arrived. We've never gotten everything we're going to get. There's always more to get. And forgive me, call me what you want, but I want to know how to get it. I want to go get more. I'm not satisfied with the status quo. I'm not satisfied with what I received yesterday. I want more. I thank the Lord for that. I'm grateful for that, but I want more. I don't want more in a material basis. I want more in a spiritual basis. I want to be able to walk stronger, be stronger, teach stronger, preach stronger, love him more, worship him more, and understand the kingdom of heaven. And I believe we can't understand more and more of it. We're never going to know all of it. Paul said it himself. I'm striving. I'm pressing on. I've not attained it yet, but I'm going to keep going and going and going and going. And he heard unspeakable things he couldn't repeat, but he wasn't satisfied. He hadn't got to that place. So God has put that inside of us, but we need to activate that. He's put it there. We have it. 
Religion wants us to get satisfied at a certain status quo, get into a culture, get into formulas, get into rituals, and just maintain the status quo. That's what religion tries to do. Now, I'm not going to get any deeper than that. I'm not railing against certain faiths and that. I'm not doing that at all. I'm railing against a spirit of religion that begins to narrow our vision so that our eyes don't open more. And when that happens, then we're basically restricting ourselves from opening the windows of heaven for abundance. So in these covenants, the covenant of grace was built in to the Adamic covenant. What does it mean for you personally? Well, it means that you can never keep God's law. It means that he already said that he was going to send one who could put the father of sin under his feet for you. But then he goes further with the revelation, the Pauline revelation and others and Jesus Christ that says we can tread on serpents and scorpions. I was musing about some of my trips to different places of the world and literally where our team is headed. I've had serpents and I've had scorpions, literally. Scorpions in my room that were like this at night when I flashed my light upon them, just waiting for me to step on them. And I had a black mamba steak that was trying to make its way to me and came all the way through a whole audience much larger than this. Nobody saw him until he got right in front of me. And then, of course, one of the warriors came running out and whacked his head off and picked him up like this and took him out. Serpents and scorpions, but there are spiritual serpents and scorpions that the Lord has given you the authority and the power to put under your feet. So there's always that condition of grace that goes along with it. The Noahic covenant, it's unconditional, wasn't it? God made a promise to Noah and he etched it in his finger painting in the skies. I don't know about you, but I love seeing a beautiful rainbow. And we get excited when there's two of them. We are so excited about rainbows, we named one of our daughters Rainbow. Her name's Keshet in Hebrew. Because when we were praying about what we should name her, we got a beautiful rainbow. We said, oh, rainbow. And my wife said, no, not rainbow. We need a better word. We're not calling our daughter Rainbow. <laughs> and she found that beautiful name, Keshet. Keshet, rainbow. And so God said, I'll give you finger painting in the sky, and it's unconditional. You don't earn it. You don't know how to make it happen. But every now and then, I'm just going to have it. And interestingly enough, he says that he instituted the Noahic covenant so that humans would not destroy each other, number one, again, and that he would preserve the earth. And also, interestingly enough, <coughs> so he said he would look upon it. And remember, not destroy the earth again. Why would God say that? That he would look upon it? Because he sees everything. He sees everything. I don't think he needs to remind himself with the rainbow not to destroy the earth. I think he takes great pleasure when we look at the rainbow and say that's the covenant of God for us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will stand with you. I will send my son who's not here to destroy you, but he's here to save you and redeem you and to present the father and his family. And so in that instance, it's unconditional. And it's for us forever. And it's personal. Not wishing that anyone should perish. Does it all equate to what we understand about Jesus Christ and the father's love for us? 
And then we come to the covenant of Abraham, another unconditional one. And he fulfilled this promise ultimately by sending his son, didn't he? He said, you will be blessed, and through you I will bless all, all of the seed of the earth. Look up at the sky, and as many stars as you see, that will be your offspring. That will be your inheritance. Those will be your heirs. And Abraham, it was confounding. It was too profound for him to understand. So the Lord said, all right, let's make a covenant. Abraham, go chop up all the pieces of the animals as was the way in that time, and we'll make a covenant. We'll pass through them. The problem was Abraham didn't have the knowledge, the understanding, the authority, or the power, or the dominion to pass through with the Lord and establish that covenant forever. The Lord did it himself. He let Abraham go to sleep, and he passed through the pieces. And then he had to explain to Abraham what happened when he woke up because he realized that he wasn't part of it, but yet he was the beneficiary of it. So it's an unconditional blessing, the Abrahamic covenant. And the blessing of that ultimately is the Savior. The Savior. But remember something, the Savior didn't come to save, he did come to save all the world, but there's a condition within the unconditional covenant, and that's that the Savior be accepted. And only God knows how to judge acceptance in the heart. Don't get caught up in that stuff. What if somebody didn't have the opportunity to know? That's between them and God. Don't cut God so short that he doesn't visit every heart and every soul. Don't cut God so short. God would have that none would perish. So God's going to take care of God's business. But we're supposed to be the ones that are preaching this new covenant, this new gospel, the good news of that gospel. And then we go to the Mosaic Covenant. Uh Uh-oh, that's when things get really serious. God calls Moses up to a mountain. They have relationship. God gives him the commandments and is ready to give him all of the Mosaic Law. And after 40 days, he comes down with the commandments and he finds people that couldn't wait. Interestingly enough, somehow spiritually, this golden calf gets created. No one's ever really thought about it. It came out of the fire. Aaron said, we threw the gold in, this calf came out. Ah. You see, when there's a false incense that goes into the Lord, don't expect that it does nothing. It does something. And when people who are claiming to be holy come to the altar with unholiness, there are stillborn, stillborn blessings. And those stillborn blessings begin to smell like fish. They don't age like wine. So there's power. There's spiritual power in the entire world that we understand it, in the universe you don't see, in the sphere that we don't see. But we are the guardians, the priests, of what God gives us to be. That's why it says in the Scriptures, He has made us to be priests and kings. We'll leave the king side apart. But as priests, we're supposed to be holy. First of all, for ourselves. Now, if you really spend some time to see what a priest had to do in order to serve the Lord, especially to go in for a sacrifice, you'd shake your head and say, that's too hard. Trust me, it's hard. Right down to how you take care of the robe that you wear. Right down to what you eat. Right down to what you do seven days before. Right down to what you do going in and going out. It's very difficult, it's very hard to be a priest before the Lord in the law. Now, he's made it easy for us because he's our high priest. He's anointed us, but it does not annul our responsibility 
to be those in covenant with God to walk in holiness. That's not absolved. Grace isn't a free ticket to get out of jail and do whatever you want. Grace is God's blessing to us. You are saved by grace and you are maintained by grace unless you cross the line, right? You cross the line, there's a way back, but it doesn't mean that you're walking in holiness. Don't expect that because Jesus washed you in the blood that I have a right to go before the throne room of God peppered with sin, stained with sin. I always teach people, and I teach you and everybody, don't say you practice sin unless you're practicing sin. Don't say you're a sinner. If you're a sinner, I got a way for you, I got a way for me. We need to confess that sin, 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful, he'll forgive us. But don't confess yourself as a sinner. Many times when I first got saved, I'd hear an evangelist say, we're all sinners. And I said, I don't know, am I still a sinner? And they put that upon us. We get that condemnation spirit that we're still sinners. We're not sinners. You're either washed in the blood or you're not. You're either practicing the righteousness of God or you're not. He was made sin who knew no sin that you might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So if you're righteous before God, that's who you are. It's not what you can do. It's who you are. It's substance. It's internal. And we understand it from Jeremiah. And then we got the Davidic covenant. And that was unconditional, thank God, because David sure blew it many times, didn't he? If it was rested upon how good David was going to be, how faithful he was going to be, how much the Lord could rely on him, there would have been no Davidic covenant. But he came out and he said, there will be one from your bloodline who will sit on the throne forever. And so to this day, to this day, many Jews, practicing Jews, practicing Jews, Orthodox Jews, religious Jews, they're waiting for the King to come, the Messiah to come through the Davidic covenant. They're waiting for that because they understood the promise. And when you read that whole promise, it's eternal. Well, it's happened. It's been fulfilled. We understand it. It's a Davidic covenant, and it was unconditional, and we understand what it means to us personally. He gave his life out of his love for you, for the world, and in so doing, he, is, he has been able to secure eternal life for all those past, present, and future. You see, he worked in the whole continuum of time. Now, some people don't like it. I've had it. I've been ridiculed and criticized because I said that when Christ came off the cross, when he was taken off the cross, his soul was made sin. That's a fact. The soul that sins must die. That's scripture. The soul that dies only has one occupation, place to go. Can't go to heaven, has to go to hell. A dead soul goes to hell, not to heaven. And Paul made it very clear who's he ascended, but that he descended first. Paul made it clear because he understood there would be theological arguments. Why is that so important? Because according to the law, According to the law, sin must be punished, and the one who sins must die. And if Jesus Christ died for you and me, and for all who would believe on him, he had to receive your punishment. And how it all got compressed into two and a half, three days, I don't have any understanding other than to know God is not in time. Time is in God. And then it tells us he preached to the spirits, and he released those spirits. 
And those who could believe came with him. Graves opened up. People came out of the graves. God will always give us a physical manifestation of the spiritual because he realizes we need it. Now, some of us, when we first got saved, we saw some amazing things happen, right? And, you know, it was more or less a little easier in the sense of little miracles, little relationships, <coughs> little things happening. But the Lord says that there's a time when we quit drinking the milk and we need to have the meat. And so if all we're doing is relying upon the things we see, we don't grow faith. Faith is the substance of things not seen. If you can see them, you don't need faith, right? But Abraham longed to see that day, but he saw it. He saw it in faith. He saw it in faith because he released something in time that triggered eternity. He said, son, the Lord will provide a lamb. He didn't know what he was saying, but he said it. That's what comes up out of the inside of a new creation person in faith. You blurred something out and all of a sudden it catches up in eternity and God releases it to you in the now because of his covenant. So, the Davidic covenant. Now we have the new covenant. And I could go on and on with scriptures. Matthew 26, as we prepare for communion, <clears throat> don't pass it out yet, just hold on a minute. <clears throat> Matthew 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then we see, as we look on into other scriptures, that it's called the cup of the covenant. And the cup of the covenant is what? It's the same as when the Lord told Israel in the fact that there would, the men should be required to be circumcised so that they would establish the covenant. Stay with me. Our cup of the covenant is what we receive as we hold up the sign that we're in the body of Christ. We're eating of the body of Christ. Our cup of the covenant means that we're in covenant relationship with God. Very interesting that Jesus said, as often as you come together, as often as you come together, celebrate this cup of the covenant. Why? Why do we have to repeat it? Why do we do it? It's because it's not ritual. It's because it's not religious. It's because it's relationship. Remember Jesus said, I longed for this supper. I longed for this time. How long did he long? Eternity. He longed, he was waiting for that opportunity when there would be a new covenant established with eating. Let me go back to eating for a second. Let's go to, this is important for you to connect the law. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 27, if I'm correct. I'm going from memory here, it just sort of sprung on me.
Deuteronomy chapter 7, let's start in verse 1. And we'll go through it very quickly. I want you to get a grasp that all of these threads are intertwined. Nothing was just, just, just spread out on these disciples from a different culture than what they already understood. It was building upon the culture that they were in. This goes back to the Mosaic law. Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. Stay with me, keep going. And it shall be on the day when you cross over. Somebody say cross over. It shall be on the day when you cross over. It shall be on the day when you cross over from no faith to faith. When you cross over from sin, hallelujah, into righteousness. When you cross over from being people that are eating crumbs to those who have abundance of living. When you cross over your life and you're born again. When you cross over from an old creature to new creation. When you cross over from old things have passed away and new things are made new. Come on, get excited with me. When you cross over Remember this on that day when you cross over. Well, let me ask you, who's already arrived? Sonny, have you arrived and you're not crossing over anymore, son? How about you, Leanne? How about you, Jeff? We're still crossing, brother. Thank God we're still crossing. Thank God that we're moving on. Thank God that we're active in the Holy Spirit of God. Thank God that in Him we lose, we live, and we have our being. We're moving, we're crossing. So this goes all the way back. Their anticipation was to get into the Jordan. Our anticipation is to continue to move and transform, moving from a glory to a glory, from a faith to a faith, a strength to a strength. That's why we keep pressing on. That's why we're never satisfied. And it doesn't mean that we're hungry and thirsty that can't be fulfilled. Our hunger and our thirst are constantly fulfilled if we're pressing on. So he says, when you cross over to the land, to the promise, to the blessing, to the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up for yourselves, listen to this, large stones and wash them with lime. Wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's go ahead. You're going to get it. You shall write on them all the words of the law. What did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah 31. He said, it's going to be a new covenant, a new time. I'm going to write my law in their hearts. In their hearts. Now, you've got the word of the Lord right here. But if it doesn't come out of here and here, it's just there. And God moves it and activates it and illuminates on it because it's already there. In that heart of stone, that heart of flesh, that's what the stones were. He's written in the indelible blood of the ink of Jesus Christ. The new word, the new covenant. And in that new covenant are promises you've yet to even understand for your life. He says, cross over that you may enter the land, the promises he's given you. A land flowing with milk and honey, a life filled with abundance. A life filled with all the blessings and promises of God. A life that says, no, I don't believe I can't. I believe I can. In fact, I believe I shall. I believe I will. A life that doesn't cry out and say when the doctor tells you how sick you are and the problem you have, you say, I'm going to die. Your life comes out and says, no, in the name of Jesus, my Lord took that for me. I believe. I believe. I believe. I don't see it, but I believe it and it's written right here. It's right here in my heart. 
This isn't a heart of stone. This isn't a heart of flesh. This is a heart that's been born again in the spirit of living God. Just as the Lord, God of your fathers, promised you. Go on, you're going to get excited. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over. Ba 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 ba. I command you today, you shall whitewash them with lime. Every time God transforms and moves, it's time to renew. That's what he was telling them. Renew. Don't get stuck on the old whitewash. Whitewash it with lime. Make it new. Why lime? Because that's all they had to whitewash with. What do you have to whitewash with? The blood of Jesus. You have the power and the glory of God to whitewash with. And those stones are glowing and pulsating for all of creation to see that you're a child of promise of the living God. If you could imagine, you know, they're talking about the meta world and excited and people are trying to see stuff that they can't see and to live in a different universe and, and to be able to pay money to go in. We live in a different universe. You're of this world, you're in it, but you're not of it. You're a citizen of another place. And it's much greater than a metaverse. It's much greater than anything you have. It is heaven coming on earth and so he says i command you today whitewash them with lime go on and there you shall build an altar to the lord your god an altar of stones you shall not use an iron tool on them <laughs> hands can't do what god has done in your heart and what he's doing the lord says wherever you proclaim my name in that place i place my altar in communion, we place another altar with God. Come on now, get it with me. In communion, we are whitewashing the stones and we're writing them anew. In communion, we're in the most intimate relationship with God we could have here on earth. That's why Jesus Christ said, as often as you will, as often as you will, when you come together, commune together in me. Commune together in me. He desires us never to be stagnant, to keep on moving. Communion isn't just about a human piece of bread and a little bit of juice. Communion is about the intimate relationship with the Lord and understanding the power that He's given us, the bread of the body of Christ. You literally are in His body. You are a part. He's your head, and you're all the rest of the pieces of us together. We are in the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. And in the blood, in the blood, everything's getting whitewashed. Everything's getting whitewashed. Listen to me. You can't apply the blood of Jesus Christ. That's Western theology that went sideways. You can plead it all day long if it makes you feel good. That's okay. It's already been done once and for all, the Lord says. You've already got it all. You just need to release it and walk in the faith of it. If you feel good about pleading the blood on your dog and this and that and your car, and, eh, it's a ritual. God winks at such stuff. Me, I thank the Lord that it's once and for all finished in the blood. I thank the Lord that nobody like me or anybody else has the power over his blood. I thank that it's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who sprinkles his blood. I thank the Lord that once and for all, once and for all the blood accomplished everything it could. I thank the Lord that when I come into communion with him, He's the one who's sprinkling whatever he wants to sprinkle. Lord, forgive me. Wash it clean. Wash it clean. Wash it clean, Lord. Only your blood. Only your blood. There's nothing else but the blood of Jesus. 
nothing else. I thank God that no priest determines when the blood of Jesus <laughs> washes me clean. I thank the Lord that no pastor determines when I'm clean enough. I thank the Lord that even my spouse can't determine because there's some day she's pretty mad at me. I thank the Lord that nothing can separate me from the love of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood, the blood. And don't put any flesh in it. Don't use an iron tool. You know, when I was establishing that altar in Hubbard, and we won't get into that, I knew this scripture. And I knew where I was established in the altar, he would make his name, and I knew not to use any tools. That was hard. I'm a tool person. Brian, you're a tool person. God says, go fix that electrical fixture, but don't use any tools. Go build me an altar, but don't use any tools. Ooh. No iron tools. Nothing that came from man manipulating the things of the earth. All about God. So Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah 31. We're going to close with this. And we're going to have communion. This is the one that we hold on to forever, isn't it? Starting in verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. It's an easy one to remember, right? Behold, the days are coming. I like one other translation that says, the time is coming. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And of course, we understand that this new covenant is inclusive, not exclusive. Neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Stop right there. In his mitre prophet, he says, O Israel, who gave you a writ of divorcement? Otherwise, he's saying, I never divorced you from myself. God is holding on to Israel an unfaithful wife, and he's building a bride of Christ. God is monogamous, doesn't want multiple wives. Jesus came for one wife. He's the groom to one wife, which tells me there's a merging coming on. The new covenant's not totally fulfilled yet because he said there's coming a day, a covenant. It's partially fulfilled. For those of us who participate we get the abundance, but God is moving the church in Israel to become one bride. And Romans 11:25 is gonna come alive, potentially in your life. Don't be ignorant of this mystery, lest you're wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel till the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then all Israel shall be saved. And Paul said, how much better will it be if the falling away of Israel brought the Gentiles salvation? How much richer, how much greater will it be when Jew and Gentile, Israel and the church are joined together as the bride? That's the fulfillment of the new covenant blossoming out even more and more and more and more. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband of them, says the Lord. Next verse. Ah, oh, it's going to get good. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And of course, we know in the New Testament, this is quoted. When they're trying to explain to the Jews what has happened, this is the fulfillment for all whom shall call upon the Lord. The fulfillment of the new covenant. Next verse. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their inequity and their sin, and I will remember no more. Stop. That hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. Isaiah 11, he talks about the time will come when the lamb shall lie down with the lion and the peace will be this and the babies will play with the snakes and nothing will be able to handle anybody. There'll be so much peace and the whole earth will know the Lord, their God. And the other one in, in, tells us that the whole earth, Habakkuk, shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It hasn't happened yet. So we understand that there's a part B to this new covenant. There's a part B to it. We are the ones who have been given the authority, the power, the dominion, the opportunity to help bring about part B. We're the ones preparing the way. We're the ones that are standing in the gap for our beloved Jews and Muslims, our Arabs, whomever they are. We're the ones that God is preaching. Beloved, I came to this conclusion again, and I thank the Lord he reminded me of it in the middle of the night. Because I am a political scientist, that's my greed. I can't help myself. I just can't help myself. And so I, I, I'm very much involved in watching politics. And, 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 and you know, man, if you're just stuck in politics right now, you're saying, man, what a mess. And then I said, Lord, Lord, you know what? Detach me more from that and put me more into just being able to do what I can do. We need to let the world know more about Jesus. We need to stand. We need to say what's right and what's wrong. We need to get the face of those who aren't walking in Jesus and tell them, don't rely upon an evangelical vote when you're serving yourself. We're not going to do that thing. We're not playing that game. Where do you stand in the covenants of God? Where do you stand with our children? Where do you stand with the unborn children? Where do you stand with the things that are important to us? And I don't care whether they have an R or a D. We need to say that's what we want here in this country. But we need to also understand something. We are called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and gross darkness is covering the earth. Don't expect anything else to relieve the gross darkness but the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that works. And you know, God could move in the twinkling of an eye. He can let persecution and pressure get so strong that all of a sudden there's a release and Jesus, Jesus is glorified. We need to be those people. We need not to be moved by what we see or what we hear. We need to be moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Part B is coming. Now, some say, as I started off, premillennialist, millennialist, that that's the million years and that's when that's going to happen, when Jesus returns. I don't think I'll be here in the flesh when he returns, but I think I'll be coming back with him. That's just me personal because I sort of know some stuff. I think some of you might be here. Yeah, either way, we win. <laughs> we win. Whether I'm coming back or going, I don't really care, just so I'm there. Just so I'm there and just so you're there. 
So we're going to enter into communion right now. If we could make sure that everybody has something, please. Remember, not a ritual, not a formula. It's not a law. He says as often as you will. If you have the will to relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, here I am. He also says, don't come to the communion table with dirty hands. Let's take a moment. I've asked you to do that through the whole day today. Let's take a moment and cleanse ourselves in the Spirit of God. Harsh words we've said. Things we've done or didn't do. The imperfections that we all have. Let's leave them with the Lord right now and ask Him to cleanse us. Take a moment, a quiet moment.